Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek. I want to join with JT and I'm uh, just so glad, so honored that you're here today. And, and what a week. Patty and I have been, uh, we've been that couple, you know, that couple that's uh, been fixated on the Weather Channel every day, seemed like all day, watching uh, the storm as it uh, started headed toward uh, the coast. And so uh, we were just relieved, truly, that, that we saw the, the wind come out of the sails of uh, Hurricane Florence as it came on. And we were talking on uh, day before yesterday, or yesterday when, when we saw this, because uh, we've been praying, and I'm sure many uh, of you and thousands of people have been praying. And all of a sudden for that storm to just lose its, go from a Category 4 down to a Category 1 to a tropical storm. You know, if we would stand up and, and say, yes, we prayed and the storm lost its power, most people in the culture, they would laugh. But, but I had this thought, one day we'll get to heaven. And when the books are open, uh, you're going to see the answered prayers. And I wonder at that moment if we will see God's hand on that storm. And then I wonder how many of us will think, man, we should have prayed more. Because if God can answer prayers like that, why aren't we praying more? So anyway, those are just some thoughts as I was watching that. And I'm relieved. And and we're going to be, you're a generous church. And we're going to be hands-on helping people uh, on the Carolina coast. And so just stay tuned this week. JT will talk about that more at the end of the service. Uh, We're working with a couple of different churches in town. And we're also working with some organizations that will have hands-on people there on site just to truly help people who are in need. And that's our focus today. We're in the second week of our series called Get Off Your Donkey. And this series is based on uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, last week we looked at... um, the interaction that a lawyer had with Jesus, and he asked this question, well, who is my neighbor? Do you know your neighbor? You know, so many times we don't even know our neighbor's names, and I can't tell you I know all of my neighbor's names. I know most of them. Uh, So let's just take a little quiz here, and this is going to be a game, Name That Neighbor, and here's how it works. I want you to, I'm going to show a picture of a well-known individual, and I want you to call out the name of the well-known neighbor. Okay, so here's the first one. Who's this? And his neighbor is? Well, son, that was pretty weak. How about this one? Some of the older folks, that's uh, Lucy and Ricky. And their neighbor is? Yes, uh, Fred and Ethel. How about Tim the Toolman Taylor? What is it? Wilson, that's right. Uh, Everybody's got to know this one. This is Ray. And his neighbor is uh, his mom. Um, and how about uh, Joey and Chandler has a couple of neighbors. You got to be quicker than that now. And how about the Tanner family from Full House? Kimmy, that's right. How about Carl Winslow from Family Matters? Urkel, of course. And then our fan favorite. Uh, I talked about uh, Seinfeld last week. It's Kramer. 
had to put that up in, uh, for uh, Hannah Sprinkle because she's our youngest staff member last week. And I just said that she, didn't never, she didn't know who Seinfeld was. And so anyway, and I felt really old. <clears throat> well, how many of you got 100%? Anybody got 100%? Oh, a couple of you watch too much TV. That's the deal on that. Well, like I said, uh, last week the question was, who is my neighbor? And the reason that was an important question is because there was a big debate going on in the culture about who the neighbor is. Because most Jews in those days believed that their neighbors were just only other Jews. Neighbors were those people who thought like them, who had the same value system that they had, um, that liked the same music, that, um, that voted the same way that they voted, that liked the same teams um, that they all liked. And if you're not on our team, then you're not worthy of our love. In fact, if you're not on our team, as you would think, that you're an enemy of us. And so this man is trying to box Jesus in when he asks this question, well, who do you say a neighbor is? And Jesus responds by telling a story that every one of us have heard. A story that that we think about every time we see somebody broken down on the side of the road. It's the Good Samaritan story. When I was thinking about that and thinking about football season, you know, for years... uh, My dad and I would go to the University of South Carolina games. He started this when I was probably 12 years old or so like that, going every week. And and my mind goes back during football season of all the memories that we made. And and we were coming back from a game late one night, going from Columbia to Abbeville. It was on I-26. We were driving a little yellow Volkswagen um, Beetle. And we had a flat tire. And we pulled to the side of the road. And we went to change the tire. And there was no tire iron in there. And so in those days, not like you had a cell phone, um, you know, you probably had a rotary phone at home, so you definitely didn't have a cell phone. And so you put up your, your trunk and your hood and, uh, and you hoped somebody would stop by. And, you know, after 15 or so minutes, a guy came by and, and had a tire iron and, and changed the tire and all that. It was good. Well, the funny thing was the next day, my aunt and uncle, uh, Jimmy and Louise, called dad and said, hey, did we see you broken down on I-26 last night? <laughs> yes, and you didn't stop. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, uh, all of us have some good Samaritan stories along the way. We pick it up in Luke chapter 10, begin reading with verse 30. Uh, the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds. He responds by telling a story. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is important, so just make a mental note and we'll come back to that. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him, what, half dead. Okay, This is interesting because when you read this story, the way Jesus told the story, you don't know where this guy's from. You don't know who he is. We don't know his nationality. All we know that he is a man that's headed down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is about 2,400 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. And Jericho is about 850 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. So this journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho 
It's about 17 miles. It's about 3,000 feet, if you can imagine. I was thinking about that earlier as I was driving in today and trying to think. I think the, lar- the tallest mountain in South Carolina is just a little over 3,000 feet. So if you can sound like get that picture when you go to the upstate and you see those. And so there's a 17-mile journey. And this man uh, is walking down when he finds himself being mugged and robbed by a group of bandits. Now, scholars will tell you that this was one of the most dangerous roads in all of the Near East. And these robbers beat this man to a pulp. In fact, the scripture says he was half dead. Now, in that era, you could determine what type of a person or who that person was by two things. First of all, you could tell what person it is by the color of their clothes. By their clothes, you could tell, oh, this guy's from Rome. Or by their clothes, you could tell, well, this guy's from Palestine. This guy's from Israel. This guy's from Nazareth. This guy's from Galilee. You could look at a person and what they wore, and you could tell where that individual is from. Okay? The second way that you could tell where that person is from is by listening to their accent. You know, uh, we do that today, right? We talk to people, and uh, most everybody in this room, we would consider you talk normal. Uh, but if you travel at all, and you travel up north, you, you really figure out that everybody is not normal. <laughs> and so you could listen to that uh, person talk, and you can tell if they're from New York City. You can tell if they're from Michigan, or you can tell if they're from Augusta. Or you can even tell if they're, um, you know, from Texas. There's just, uh, there's a different accent that comes from different regions of the nation. But this person in Jesus' story, he had no clothes on and he is lying there half dead. Now, when you see the words half dead, this basically means that in the Hebrew mind that he is about to die at any moment now. So we don't know who this person is, and we don't, we don't know if he's a Jew. We don't know if he's a Roman. We don't know if he's a friend, and we don't know if he's an enemy. We have no idea. All we know is he is lying right here on the ground, and he is about to die. So at this point, Jesus is setting up this story to enter into uh, the story about a good Samaritan, a kind-hearted person. But before he goes and talks about the Good Samaritan, he introduces two characters in the story. And these two characters in the story missed an opportunity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is that how many times in our lives do we miss opportunities to do good? How many times do we miss an opportunity to impact someone? I'll pick it up the story. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Get this, a priest going down the same road. Now, what do we know about this? We know that a priest in those days were part of the upper class. Scholars believe that the majority of priests lived in the city of Jericho, and so priests would Uh, work alongside of Levites and lay people in the temple. 
Now, they would work on a two-week rotation. So they would go up to the temple in Jerusalem for two weeks. And then they would go home to Jericho for two weeks. Some of you get that kind of schedule. Some of you know what it means to work swing shifts. That you'll work 712s or you'll work 410s. You get that. Well, these folks, they work two weeks on and two weeks off at the temple. Now, the priest is coming after he has worked two long weeks at the temple. He is headed home. And he sees this man lying there, and he keeps on going. Now, why would he do that? Why would a priest see a man lying there half dead and keep on going? Probably the same reason you and I do similar things. In fact, I feel like there are at least four reasons why he would do that and why we would do that ourselves. I think so many times I miss opportunities to to help somebody or opportunities to make a difference because simply we are too busy. I'm just too busy. You know, the priest had a job to do. He was traveling um, down this road for a reason. He had somewhere to be. And maybe he'd been working for two weeks in seven, you know, two weeks, uh, 24 hours a day being on call. And maybe he's just tired and that he just didn't have the time and didn't take the time. And for whatever reason, he didn't make the time. What do we know about that? Here's the point and fill in the blank. Your schedule doesn't show you how much time you have for someone. It shows you how much you care for someone. Your schedule doesn't show you how much time you have, but it shows you how much you care. And here's what I'm saying is that if there's something really important in your life, you're going to clear your schedule. So you're going to make it happen. It doesn't matter what's on the schedule. You're just going to make it happen. But if, if you don't care, you're just going to make an excuse. And so... The most valuable resource that we have as individuals is the resource of our time. And no doubt that this priest is thinking, man, I have been giving and I have been giving and I have been giving for two weeks. I have been on the clock. I have finally got a moment to take a breath, to go home and to be with my family. And I'm going to go do that. Well, that could be one mindset that he would have. But for this priest, it's more than just time. For this priest, I believe he understands the Torah. Now, what is the Torah? In the Jewish culture, the Torah was the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the laws of Moses. They called them the Torah. He knew the Torah. And for him, it was not only about loving your neighbor, but it was about being holy. A priest's job was to be set apart. It was to be holy. And if he would get off of his horse, because he's upper class, he would be riding a horse. If he would get off of his horse and he would go touch a defiled man, he would become ceremonially unclean. And then what happens Once that priest becomes unclean, he has to turn around. He has to go back up to Jerusalem and he has to go through the process 
of being cleansed once again so that he could do his work. And once he would get there, he would go to the section of the temple uh, where they would uh, go through the cleansing process. And people probably would be saying, hey, you couldn't do your job. You couldn't stay holy. You couldn't stay apart, uh, set apart. I mean, what's up with that? And so this priest had a decision to make. Is this person that is hurting worth the shame that I've got to endure to get off this horse to help him? Is this person worth the mocking? Is this person worth the time that I'll have to turn around and instead of going home, that I've got to go back to Jerusalem and to go through the process of being cleansed? And so we see that he starts to think, and I'm just too busy for this. I think the second thing we see, the reason we see that uh, we miss opportunities is sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes it's complicated. Life can get complicated. Here's the point. When you engage with broken people, things may get messy. When When you engage with broken people, things can get messy. Because when we engage with broken and hurting people, it takes us out of our comfort zone, our comfortable life. Um, And we look at that person and we see the need, but we say, you know, do we really want to get involved in that? I mean, a lot of other things can happen as soon as we get involved in this situation. And you start thinking about that. Is this person really worth it? Well, that priest saw that person and made the calculation in his mind, no, it's not. It's not worth it. This priest had an opportunity, but he didn't stop and help. So he goes on home. Now, shortly after that, there comes a second character that Jesus is telling the story, and he introduces this second character. Now, this second character is a Levite. Now, we know that Levites were responsible for the worship services at the temple. But not only were Levites responsible for the worship services, but they were also responsible for uh, the service or the maintenance of the buildings and so forth. Now, the Levites, too, worked on a two-week schedule. They would work two weeks on, a two-week rotation, and then they would be two weeks off. Now, this Levite was on the same schedule, and he was headed home that day. Now, he didn't have the resources that the priest had. So this guy probably was not riding a horse. In fact, a Levite was probably walking down this road. Now, he arrived at a place where this this hurting man was lying down. And more than likely, think about it this way. He can see this guy. He can see the uh, uh, very closely because he's not on a horse. He's walking and he walks by this man. He is a lot closer to the individual than the priest was on that day. And so he just walked on by. Now, why is that? Why would a Levite walk on by? Well, there could be a couple of different possibilities. Maybe, maybe he sees this guy has beaten and he is robbed. Maybe he's afraid. Maybe when he saw that, he's thinking, I wonder if those thieves are around here. 
This is the most dangerous road in the Near East and maybe right behind those rocks over there, maybe hiding out in the cave over there, there's these thieves and these robbers and maybe if I slow down enough, they're going to jump on me and treat me just like they did this other guy. I would imagine he felt this, this fear and this tension and he probably started walking even faster. That could be one of the scenarios there. Well, maybe so. He, what we see in here is the third reason we don't help is that oftentimes we're just afraid to take the risk. We're afraid of it. We, uh, we're afraid that, uh, that we may get in over our head, that we cannot handle this situation, and, and, um, and we will cause more harm than good, and we talk ourselves out of it. We're just afraid. We're afraid to take a risk even though we feel like it's the right thing. And that leads us to the next point. He said the right thing to do is often the hardest thing to do. That we look into situations and we say, we need to do the right thing. Well, we don't want to do the right thing. We need to take the high road. Well, we don't want to take... Because we know that doing the right thing or taking the high road is going to cost us something. It's going to be hard to do that. And so for this Levite, he, he looked at the situation and said, man, it's not really worth the risk. But there's something else going on too. Now remember that he has just gotten off work from a two-week rotation. And don't you know that in those days, you're, uh, as you go down this road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, you're going to find out who else is on the road. You're going to know who's on the rotation. I would imagine this Levite knew that the priest had gotten off and gotten on his horse and headed down uh, to Jericho. So in this mind, in this Levite's mind, he thought, okay, the priest drove by this man and he didn't stop and do anything. And so who am I to contradict him? In fact, if I bring, if I help this guy, will I not be bringing disfavor and dishonor on the priest? I mean, my boss came by here and my boss didn't feel like it was worthy enough to stop. Who am I to say that I am uh, more special than my boss? And so I don't want to bring disfavor on him. I like my job. I'm going to keep on walking. And so he had a loophole there. A way out that he thought. That leads us to the fourth and the final point. Is that we often expect someone else to help. We expect someone else to help. Um, And we'll run into situations where we'll say, man, I'm just not qualified to do that. And granted, there are some things I'm not qualified to do. And some things you're not qualified to do. You know, if you uh, leave church today and you see somebody have a wreck... Um, at an intersection, um, and, and you may have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express this week, but, but don't go try to do surgery on him laying in the road. Understand what you can and cannot do. What you can do is you can call 911. What you can do is you can get the right help. What you can do is maybe you can take care of children uh, that are not injured. But I'm talking about what So often we don't even do that because we expect somebody else to do that. Somebody else to take care of that situation. And if everyone expected somebody else to do it, then help would never come. 
So here we see this priest and this Levite miss this opportunity. And if I step back and look at this story from a distance, and maybe you too, I'm a lot like the priest and the Levite. I'm a a lot like those guys. Because I believe there are opportunities that have come near me that I've looked the other way and continued to go. Maybe you're like that too. Several years ago, I was leaving church after our second service. And in those days, um, we did uh, afternoon services too. And so in my mind, uh, we had to get to lunch. And then I have to be at home by 3 o'clock because I go to bed at 3 o'clock. And then I wake up at 4 and then to be here by 5. So that, that was my world in those days. And, and I'm not having to be here at 5, uh, but I'll still be in the bed at 3. Um, it's my world. And so I was leaving the church and I was thinking, and, and you know, guys only have what, about seven to 10,000 words a day. Um, and you know, and women have a little bit more than that, like 30,000 a day. <laughs> that's science. I, I'm not making that up. Um, that's true. And, and so, so they're blessed with the verbal intensity uh, of communication. And so, um, but by the time I speak three times or two times in, the, in this story, my word count is running low and it takes me another, it takes me to lunch on Monday to recover my word count. That's true. And so it was one of those days, my word count was low. Uh, the parking lot was about empty and I am headed to the car so that we can go to the restaurant so I can get home at what time? Three o'clock. Okay. You're listening three o'clock. Um, because you remember the story at Christmas time, because I was getting gas at three o'clock at Costco and fell asleep in the car and the guy had to wake me up. Yes, that's my Christmas story, and that was true. And so I don't get gas at 3 o'clock at Costco anymore because I'm embarrassed. Um, So back to the story of the morning. So anyway, I'm headed out the door. I go out the door, and I see this guy in his late 20s over there. Waved at him. You know, he's the only guy in the parking lot. I'm headed to the car. And so then Patty is following me uh, a few uh, minutes or so later. And I look back and she turns and talks to him and said, hey, do you have a way home? And he said, well, um, she said, oh, come on, we'll take you home. And I'm thinking, I cringe. I'm thinking like, really? We've got people waiting on us. You don't even know where he lives. And they found out that he lived 20 minutes away from where we were going. So it was 20 minutes out there and 20 minutes back. And so she said, yeah, come on and get in the car. And so uh, she, she had no clue of who this guy was new to the church. And uh, she started talking to her, uh, talking to him and said, hey, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I'm on probation and um, <laughs> just got out of uh, prison. I've been in prison for the last 10 years, uh, three different times in prison. And, um, and she said, really? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's uh, created a, a friendship there. And um, he was new to the creek and uh, he, he left his uh, his town to come here to try to get away and start over. And so she's kept on that conversation um, and he kept on coming back to the Creek and he was saved and baptized here at Stevens Creek. Now here's the point. I walked by that. I walked by because I was tired. I had a whole, all those excuses. Those are my excuses. I missed an opportunity, but Patty did not. She walked into the opportunity She said, here's an opportunity just to be nice to somebody. 
Here's an opportunity just to have a conversation. And you never know how that conversation can be turned into a spiritual conversation and how God can use that to help change. Every time you see a person in need, there's an opportunity to help. Every time you see a person in need, there's an opportunity to help. And I believe there are opportunities all around us. We've got to slow down long enough to notice them. Because we live in a a world of wounded people. Now, I want you to just understand, look at the people who are close to you. And maybe that's what we should do this week. Maybe the challenge of the week is just to identify one person that you've been passing by. That you identify just one person that you've been passing by. Maybe one person that you see on a regular basis, but you pause long enough to say, hey, how are you doing today? Well, how are you really doing? And just ask that. That's all. We're not asking you uh, to go above and beyond your normal flow. I'm just saying, notice the people God brings to you. Notice the people. A couple of years ago, two years ago, in fact, um, I was at a conference and I met a guy named Bill and, and Bill told his story. In his own words, he said, uh, my mother and I were walking down the street on a block where we live north of St. Petersburg in Pinellas Park, Florida. Uh, and he said, my mom worked as a barmaid uh, at the Welcome Inn on Park Boulevard. And he said, we stopped and we sat down on a concrete culvert that was built over a little drainage ditch. And Bill's telling this story. And she was real, very quiet that day. And after a few minutes, his mom stood up and said, I can't do this anymore. You wait, you wait right here. And Bill said, I did exactly what my mama said. I sat there and I waited for her to come back. The sun went down and she still wasn't back. For three days, I sat in the hot Florida sun on a concrete culvert. I didn't know where to turn. If I'd known how to pray, I would have done that. But he said, but prayer had no place in our home. All I could do was try to be brave and choke back the tears that would fill up my eyes. Bill stayed there for three days and his mom never came back. Can you imagine that? Three days. A mechanic by the name of Dave Rudinus who lived nearby, noticed him sitting there. And instead of passing him by, he went over and sat down on the concrete. He said, hey, my name's Dave. And he started a conversation with him. And he heard Bill's story. Now, Dave was a Christ follower. And Dave took Bill home with him, gave him a place to stay, and then paid for him to go to a summer camp. It was at that camp that Bill Wilson heard the words that changed his life. It was these words, Jesus loves you and so do I. That summer, Bill made a commitment to follow Jesus and his life was changed. Bill went to college and went into the ministry. His first assignment was in Davenport, Iowa, where he worked at the First Assembly of God there with Tommy Barnett. The interesting thing about Tommy Barnett is after he left that church, he went to Phoenix, First Assembly, where they launched the 
uh, LA Dream Center out of that church, and we're part of that network. So this is the early days of that. When Pastor Barnett went to Phoenix, Bill, in 1979, moved to Brooklyn, New York. And Bill took an old donated station wagon, and he drove around picking up kids and taking them to Sunday school. And every time he picked up one of those little kids, he looked at those children in Brooklyn and said, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Later, that station wagon was replaced by a bus. Since then, he's been beaten. Bill has been stabbed. He's been shot. He's been robbed and hospitalized. But today, Bill Wilson heads up a ministry called Metro World Child. He still drives a bus, but he also has a fleet of buses. Because he has taken this ministry and he's replicated it around the boroughs and across America. And that every Sunday, there are 20,000 kids that are picked up and served every week. And Bill said, when those kids, he's telling the story, he says, when those kids get on that bus, I, I, I still drive when I can. And I say, Jesus loves you and so do I. Because I'm looking, I'm not looking into the eyes of kids I don't know. I'm looking into my own eyes. I think about the day that I heard those words. Don't think that I'm urging you today to be the next Bill Wilson. I'm not. God raised him up for a unique ministry. But I'm asking you to be the next Dave Rudis. I'm asking you that on your way to work, just open up your eyes. I'm asking you just to notice. Just to notice that that maybe there's somebody that God's going to bring your way. That maybe that there's a need that you can help meet not too far from here. Listen to this song. Somebody's forgotten how to trust 
said Jesus is waiting not too far from here. I think there's two things that that we need to consider over the next couple of minutes. First of all, we need to consider our personal responsibility. What kind of conversations are we going to be in this week? And it's my prayer that this message will just loom close to us that God will put his spirit on us and anoint us to have that conversation, even though it may be complicated, even though it may be risky, but we trust that he gives us the words to say. And that this week, you're gonna take that step and you're gonna extend that, helm, that, that hand and give a helping hand. Here's the second. I believe there are people here this today that God brought you here for this moment because today is the day of salvation for you. That Today is the day where you say, Jesus, I've been living at a distance from you and I want to make things right. For God has been prompting you and calling you to come to him. But for whatever reason, you just push him away. Today, that needs to stop. You need to stop fighting against him. Because God has a plan for your life. And just like the Bill Wilson story, Jesus loves you and so do I. And today I want to say that I love you and I want to see God's plan revealed in your life. You say, how does that happen? You just say, Jesus, come be the leader of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And for those of you that are ready to take that next step, I'm ready to pray, and we're going to all, as a church family, going to be praying for you right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to be a part of a family like Stevens Creek Church. And today we know there are people in this auditorium, people in our video venue, and people watching online. And Father, I know there are people here listening that have never made a decision to follow Christ And then there's another group of people that have wandered from the faith and they're here to rededicate their lives. Whatever place we may find ourselves in, I ask that you would move in these moments. If you'd like to pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, just say this prayer. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Say that. Say, I'm so sorry for my sins. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. Just say that. Say, make me into the kind of person you'd have, uh, that you'd have me to be. Forgive me and fill me with your spirit. Fathers, they pray a simple prayer like that. Save and set free. We thank you for what you're going to do and what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.